Hey everybody, this is Adam Bickley, uh, Bickman2K on the RF Generation forums, and this is another entry of the People of RF Generation. Uh, I've already done one of these in text with uh, our guest today, uh, but we decided to, we decided to, I decided to have him back on to uh, do a second one because we had a couple of topics that, uh, between the two of us, we're uh, pretty... Oh, I guess we're pretty big fans of, uh, in general, um, and we'll get to that kind of at the end of the questions, but uh, I've got with me Ghost 81 Sean, how are you doing? I'm great, Adam. Happy to be talking to you again. I'm very excited to chat and do this via audio. Uh, I was, I, I had the honor, as you said, of doing a, the written interview a couple months ago, uh, but I think the conver doing a conversation one on one, we can go a bit deeper into the topics of collecting and digital versus physical and some of the other things <laughs> we're going to touch on today. So I'm very excited to be chatting with you again. So yeah, if uh, Sean and I actually just spoke not too long ago, I was on the Playcast. Uh, Sean is the co-host of the Playcast with uh, Rich Single Banana. Um, if you guys don't know who he is, go check out the podcast. It's always always great. Uh, especially the Earthman episode is one of my favorites. Yes, indeed. That um, is, that's in our top ten for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Sean, where I where are you from? For people that don't know, oh, I'm originally from New Jersey, born and raised in New Jersey. I lived there until 2015. Uh, it was always my not always, but since I was a child, a young teenager, I dreamed of moving to a warmer climate. And for whatever reason, I just kind of settled on Texas. Like I always wanted to move to Texas. So uh, at one point, a coworker of mine, when I was in my 20s, he said, if you want to go to Texas, you would really like Austin. So I visited Austin in 2006. And uh, since then, I've been trying to move here, and I've been here since 2015 with my wife. Awesome. Um, so how, how did you find RF Generation? Oh, that's a great question. So I, when I first got into collecting, I spent a lot of time on Racket Boy. I don't know if you mm -hmm. are familiar with that site. Also a great site. It's a little different from RF Generation because... They are actually very pro emulation and they're not so much on the collecting side, but they had a podcast uh, back in the day, a ra the Racket Boy podcast. And there was one episode that I listened to that they said, oh, if you're into collecting, you should go listen to the collector cast over on <laughs> RF Generation. And of course, that was uh, Duke Togo and Krabby at the time. Uh, that was even before they got billed. They were only on their like second and third episodes at that point. So I went and listened to the collector cast, listened to the whole backlog, and have listened to every episode since. But that's what got me on to RF Generation. And so then, what after you found us and you got involved, what made you you know hang around and then you know become part of RF Generation, the community, and then eventually you know to the to the playcast. Well, I liked that everybody on the site has always been so friendly, especially to someone like me who uh, I've been around video games my whole life and I've dabbled in them as a hobby. I've gone between being super passionate about them and being like 
They're just kind of a part of my life the same way movies and books are. But the one thing I love about RF Generation is that you can just kind of come as you are to the site and everybody will just embrace you. You don't have to be this hardcore mega collector trying to get every, you know, uh, holy grail of games. I remember my first post on RF Generation was in the small scores thread. I just posted, oh, I got Spyro the Dragon at a garage sale. I'm really happy because I've never played this game before. And everybody was like, oh, welcome to the site. Great score. Like, you know, it was just a copy of Spyro, a greatest hits copy of Spyro the Dragon for the PlayStation. <laughs> but everybody's like high fiving me about it. So that like my first impression of the site was very, very good. And uh, that's why I've been been here since. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you and I both know. I mean, just even you know, not even the regular site, but all of the you know staff that we kind of interact with, you know, is really tries to make it very inclusive and you know, very just a a pleasant place to go and post stuff or chat or, or do whatever. So, um, yeah, I com- that's I completely agree with you. Have you ever met or do you personally know anybody uh, at RF Generation? I mean, obviously we know you know Rich, but. Uh, has there been you know any others that you can think of? Yeah, unfortunately, Rich is the only. I'm trying to think. I just want to make sure. Of course, I've brought some of my in real life friends onto RF Generation, so I don't uh-huh. think that counts. As far as people that <laughs> I've met on RF Generation, uh, sadly, Rich is the only one I've ever met in person. If I recall correctly, I hope I'm not like. <laughs> Oh boy, I really hope I'm not insulting anybody who I met and have forgotten about, but I'm I'm relatively sure because unfortunately I've never you know, living in Texas, a lot of a lot of the, the crew here is from the East Coast. Um mm-hmm. and there's a lot of the conventions are up there and I haven't been able well, I shouldn't say I haven't been able to. It's my choice. I haven't chosen to make a trip <laughs> to one of these conventions yet. So um, I would love to meet more people on the site. I, it's, I think internet friendships are kind of amazing. Um, I feel very close to a lot of people that I've worked with over the years. Like I would consider Steven disposed hero to be one of my closest friends, uh, just from working with him on the podcast and doing a lot of trading and wheeling and dealing with him over the years and just bonding over games that we've played together. Um, and there's a lot of people like that. He's just one example, but I always think it's amazing, uh, how you can form a bond with somebody that you've never met in person. So, yeah, uh, I mean, we're not terribly far. My wife has certainly talked about making a trip down to Austin. So if I ever make it down that way, I'll, I'll hit you up. That would be rad. Yeah. It's kind of cool to talk to somebody who's in the same time zone as me because (laughs) it has caused a lot of confusion with recording schedules in the past. So this is nice. All right, so we're going to get into some of your just kind of collection, you know, stuff right now. Um, how many? Do you know how many games you have that you own currently? I know that you you kind of talked with us, you know, in our our staff chat about, you know, and and really I'm sure people have seen that you're posting and uh, you know you've done a lot of you know eBay sales and stuff. But um, how many? As far as if you don't know what, exactly what you own, or, or as far as what you're trying to get sort of your collection curated to yeah so i've gotten it down from it was it was well over a thousand 
and I kind of lost count once I got into four digit territory, but I've gotten <laughs> it down now at this point to about 750, which is still a lot to me. And, <laughs> and but I, I don't find it quite as overwhelming as it was at one point. And I'm th- there have been streaks of like absolute urgency of, of mine to like sell like crazy. And at a certain point, and, and I did write about this on, on the blog on rfgeneration.com. If anybody wants to check it out, it, it, it got a lot of really good response and I worked hard on the article. So, um, I, I pushed really, really hard for a long time and it started to become like a job and, uh, I've kind of cooled off at the moment. I'm pro I might get back into it. As a matter of fact, I was looking at, <laughs> I was looking at some things on price charting today and <laughs> I, so one of the things I was doing was selling like the high value stuff because, you get more bang for your buck, like literally, and mm-hmm. to sell like these triple digit games that have blown up in price since the pandemic or whatever, I've made a lot of money pretty quickly doing that. But then I I had to like pump my brakes a little bit because there were things in my collection that I was like, no, I actually, I really like this game and I want to keep it on the shelf and if i sell it in a rush i might regret it later so there have been games like that but then there's also games that like i looked one up this morning and i was like oh that just sold for 150 dollars. that'll be the next thing on the chopping block so <laughs> it's uh it's it's just kind of picking and choosing and it's it's almost gamified in and of itself so like mm-hmm. it's like reverse game hunting <laughs> <laughs> And so are, is there anything that you're kind of um, on the lookout for? Do you have sort of a, a wish list of uh, like things that you're specifically looking for? Is there it more of just like something that kind of catches your eye if you are, you know, kind of actively still, you know, buying games and stuff? Yeah. So you mean as far as like things coming into the collection? Yes. Yeah. So there are things out there, um, but there's a conflict between me wanting to downsize my collection and then wanting to add anything to the collection. I, I do still buy games, uh, not nearly as often as I used to, but there are games out there that I, I do want like a physical copy of something, Mm. you know, like, um, I talked on our show, I recently got the metal gear, metal gear legacy collection. I think it's called on the PS three, just because the, the price had been kind of all over the place and it probably, it it finally settled into like the $30 range new. So I said, I've been wanting this for a long time. So I grabbed a copy of that and there's other things out there. Like I haven't played, deadly premonition 2 yet and i will definitely want to get like a physical copy of that on the the switch and i'm sure there are other things and there's there's also the holy grails like i've always wanted a copy of uh tron bond on the ps1 mm-hmm. but I, I we'll probably get into this a little like i have it <laughs> digitally on many many right. different platforms so that's the conflict with do i really need to spend what at 300 bucks or whatever it's going for now, probably more than that to have another, you know, hunk of plastic when I'm (laughs) trying to get rid of those high value items. 
So how many different systems do you have? Oh man, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> um, I have probably one of, well, I have one to three of everything from the NES generation up until currently. Um, I am, I was one of those persons who, even if I had a console and I saw another one at a Goodwill or something, I would I'd grab it just because, oh, you never know, yours might break and you'll need a backup, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but that's another thing I've been kind of selling down. Like, I, I had three Sega Saturns, so I was like, well, maybe I can... <laughs> you know, pair this down to two. I know they're getting kind of old and they are kind of fragile, but I, I don't play the Saturn too much. So it's like, I could probably survive with two Sega Saturns, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, you can just figure I have all the mainstream stuff. I don't have too many weird consoles. Like I don't have a Jaguar or a 3DO. Like I don't have any of that wacky stuff like you do, like the virtual boy, <laughs> but just figure like the mainstream stuff. I have, you know, at least one of, of all of them. Uh, when did you start collecting? So my collection as it stands now, I started probably in about 2007 or eight. And I've gone through many different versions of collecting games. I remember when I was in my, early 20s i bought i I, got, I really got into buying these like random lots of games on ebay and i was really again even back then i was just wheeling and dealing on ebay buying lots of games picking out the ones i want selling the lots back making money making my collection grow and i don't even really remember what happened to that collection i think I, maybe i sold it all off because i know that when I got married, when I met my wife, I had an original Xbox and about a dozen games and that was it. And when I married, oh. when I met my wife, she had a PlayStation 2 and a bunch of games. So we had this nice little, you know, uh, shared <laughs> collection that came together. And then what happened was one day I was at my job back in New Jersey and uh, there was this woman named Doris. Shout out to Doris. Uh, hope she's doing well. <laughs> Haven't talked to her in a very long time. But she was a like garage sale queen, and she ran like a small. She ran her own small eBay operation, trying to find gold at garage sales to flip it. So I nonchalantly mentioned one day that oh i haven't played old video games in in a while it would be cool to have like a sega genesis or something mm -hmm. totally just a throwaway remark and then so like the next weekend she had picked one up and left on my desk a sega genesis with like five games and <laughs> I, it was a really cool gesture very nice of her and this was you know kind of back in it wasn't that long ago, but it was back in the days when the retro market was just starting to really, really heat up. So mm -hmm. um, that's what got me into collecting. And then at that point, I just really I went off the rails and was just obsessively down the rabbit hole of buying every damn thing I could find. And mm -hmm. I didn't discriminate. I wasn't trying to curate a cool, nice collection that was like personal to me. I was just buying every damn thing that I could. So, uh, it was like that for a while. And then since then I've gone through different stages of, 
I got to get rid of this stuff. I've moved a couple times and that's excruciating when you have a huge video game collection. And, um, you know, right now I'm trying to just, just curate something that is special and unique to me and that I'm happy with. And that I don't look upon with like kind of not to say shame, but like a little bit of shame, a little bit of anxiety and, and so forth. Uh, do you remember what the first system that you owned was? Yes. Uh, when I was a child, like a young child, like five and six years old, there was an Atari 2600 in my house. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where my parents <laughs> got it. It was just, it just felt like it was always there. And I'll tell you a funny story. I don't know. I've probably told this on our podcast, but I'll tell you that. Atari 2600, once upon a time, was up on a tall shelf, like a a wall unit, basically, all the way on the top shelf. And whatever I was doing, I was playing and shaking the wall unit. The Atari 2600 fell on my skull, and I still have, like, um, a dimple, like a little a little mark in my head from it. So the Atari 2600 almost killed me. (laughs) (laughs) So on the, I guess on the Atari, what was the first game that you remember playing? I remember playing a lot of pitfall and later on moon patrol when I was, let's say when I was a teenager, I was also into like, Super Nintendo and Nintendo, but my friend Jesse and I would play a lot of Atari as well because we both had one, so we used to swap games with each other. And um, my favorites were like Pitfall, Moon Patrol, Missile Command, uh, and there were a few others. Hero was always one of our favorites. Hmm. So, yeah. I, I To this day, I don't play the Atari 2600 a lot, and I really don't consider it like my start with video games. I, I feel like I only started to like love video games with the nes and that the atari was just like another toy in my house Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of funny because i i remember like it was yesterday the first time i saw super mario brothers being played on a tv it was at a friend's house and her brother was playing the game and my jaw hit the floor i couldn't believe what i was seeing (laughs) and yet i had seen video games before i played the atari 2600 you know when i was younger but something about the leap from atari 2600 to nes uh really lit me up (laughs) do you remember the first game that you bought yourself either like birthday money or allowance or something like that Ooh, that's a good one that's a good, good question. I don't think I really do. I can tell you my dad bought a lot of our games when we had our NES. And again, I've told, I, I've told this story on our podcast as well, but I'll repeat it here. I, in my mind, I remember convincing my father to buy an NES. And I remember him <laughs> rounding up rounding us up into the station wagon and driving to Sears to buy an NES. And in my mind, I had persuaded him to do that. Um, But I remember one thing I do remember is that there was a dollar store near me. And 
one time they were selling copies of Friday the 13th on NES for $1. And it was, <laughs> it was kind of weird because they weren't like brand new sealed in the box. They were just loose carts in the dust in oh. the normal <laughs> NES dust sleeves. But I was still like, oh, my God, they have Nintendo games here for a dollar. But it was just <laughs> that game. So um, definitely that was easy to convince my mom to grab a and not only a copy for me, but we got like four or five copies for all my <laughs> friends, too. So that was a pretty cool experience. Uh, do you remember the first game that you beat? I don't. I know a lot of Atari games you couldn't really beat or anything, but do you remember like even if it was NES or something like that? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. That man, that's another great question. That <laughs> I um, I'm I'm sure I beat some NES games. Just uh, nothing's. Oh, probably like Contra with the code. Um, oh yeah. Maybe Life Life Force with the same code. Played a lot mm-hmm. of games like that. Uh, even co-op. So yeah. Um, Cause I never, I don't think I ever beat Super Mario Brothers when I was younger. I just could, I could only get to like World Seven and never got much further. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragon Warrior, that was a that was an early one. We did a, a whole episode of our show on that game. Very special to me. Very sentimental. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there were a few NES games that I mm-hmm. beat. Have you ever broken anything from frustration due to a game? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh I so yeah, there's a few instances of this. I I really try hard not to rage. I think it's not to say dangerous, but I get worried about the darker side of my personality when it's like, oh, a video game can send you into a physical rage like that. Mm-hmm. But I have um most recently I was playing elite beat agents for our show. (laughs) Yeah. And I was trying to beat that final level and it was just, it was hair pulling. And I, uh, I punched my couch. Like I was pounding on my couch cushion, but I had the stylus in my fist. So now there's Mm -hmm. like four or five tiny holes in my couch cushion (laughs) from the stylus stabbing through it. (laughs) Another time I, unfortunately like Saturn controllers are, not to say they're hard to come by, but they're not the most common cheap controllers you can find. And I actually really messed up one of my Saturn controllers f- flying into a rage while I was playing, uh, I think it was Albert Odyssey, believe it or not, which is not a generally hard game. And I can't remember what part of it made me rage like that. And I'm just glad I didn't break my Saturn. Like I broke the controller connector and the controller itself still works, but I was still really upset with myself for doing that. Uh, are you, are you collecting games now or is it, I mean, anything specific? I think we already went over this a little bit, but I mean, is there anything specific or are you just kind of looking for specific titles at this point? Yeah. So I've never, I've actually never been one to like, Oh, I want to increase my PSP collection or I want to have mm-hmm. more 3ds games. It's usually more, looking for specific it's either looking for specific stuff or just buying everything and not discriminating by platform like i Mm -hmm. i usually don't have goals by platform and i've never ever wanted to go for a complete set of anything because 
I understand people who do, including yourself. I think it's actually <laughs> awesome that you hit that Virtual Boy complete set. I completely stumbled right back into that thing. I, <laughs> I, 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 so, so to be completely transparent and honest about that, I was so close on the cusp of selling off the entire thing. Wow. I didn't before, know that. Before that, that got sent over. That's amazing. Because, I mean, because... <clears throat> I got a complete water world, which was going for like four to five hundred dollars. Wow! Yeah, see, and I'm like, this, this is like, this is like, uh, I'm just sitting on this. I'm never gonna play it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I was, I mean, I was like, super close to pulling the trigger before that showed up, and I was like, well, no, there's no way I'm getting rid of this now. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That, but see, that's the temptation. You have a game that's like, you know, it's not a good game. You know, you're never going to play it. You know, it's worth a lot of money. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a very strong temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, that's just the reason why I don't, I've never gone for complete sets. Even when I was like crazy, just buying junk that I didn't need or whatever. I always had the philosophy that there are there are bad games on every platform and I don't mm. want bad games in my collection. Mm-hmm. I certainly have many bad games in my collection, but I think like buying them on purpose just to complete a set is just, it's just not for me. I, I, I mean, hats off to anybody who wants to do it, it do mm-hmm. your thing, but I just have never gone for a complete set for that reason. Then I guess how many games or systems or whatever are enough well i what i envision for myself is for my video game collection to look more like my book collection or my even my blu-ray collection and to put that in context i probably have about 40 blu-rays and i do have a few hundred books but i don't have you know, 700 to a thousand books. I just have one mm-hmm. bookshelf. So I have, ex- I've explained this on the show before and I, I could show pictures for this if you'd like, but I have these three wall units in my game room that I bought from Best Buy way back in the day. They're huge. And mm-hmm. I, I, at one point they were all full and not only were they full, but they were overflowing. So I had stacks of games on top of them and stuff in bins and everywhere. So I've gotten it down to two of those wall units and they're not even full to capacity. My goal is eventually to get that down to one unit, which I think they hold something like four, four or 500 games, depending on how you configure them and what, what format they are so that's that's what i think is enough for me and that's what's Hmm. appropriate for me and where i kind of want to get so i'm working on that like i said it's just getting more and more challenging as i look at what i have and um and and i'm conflicted between the value of what i can get for it versus the value of nostalgia sentimentality was it a gift from somebody uh did i play it and really liked it or do i want to play it uh or whatever so Uh, so what's what's the favorite part of your collection my favorite part of my collection i have a few things for for nostalgic purposes it's my uh dungeon explorers handbook from dragon warrior because It is the only thing I own in my video game collection that 
came from when I was a child. And the story of that guide is that we had gotten them with our free copy of Dragon Warrior for subscribing to Nintendo Power. (laughs) And they were passed around between me and my friend Jesse. And on one of the last occasions that I saw Jesse alive, he actually gave me one of these Explorer's Handbooks. And I was like, oh, is this from is this one of ours? And he was like, yeah. So that actually somehow, uh, is the only thing I own that is like literally from my childhood, not just rebuying something that I used to have as far as for collector's value or like the crown jewel of my, uh, collection for, uh, for it being special or crown jewel or whatever. There's a few, but my copy of Rule of Rose is pretty special to me because, (laughs) again, to shout out my friend Steven, Disposed Hero on the site, he sent that to me as a gift, a surprise gift. It just appeared at my house one day, and I, as you can guess, I absolutely lost my mind, and (laughs) it's just, it's one of the nicest things anybody's ever done for you know for me as a gift like that and um i don't care if it goes up to five thousand dollars i will never sell it because uh that that's really special to me as well yeah let's i mean and if anybody's not really aware of what steven does i mean he used to you know be one of the co-hosts on the playcast but mm-hmm. if you go check out his twitter it's just at disposed underscore hero right i believe so he is doing some just amazing guitar stuff that he's putting up on Twitter, and yeah. it's like I'm every time one shows up and listen to it. It I mean they're not long; they're you know minute or two, and there's you know um, some stuff that's kind of you know that might be longer. I don't remember right offhand, but um, I think he also just did the uh, the collector cast new intro, right? Oh, is that true? That's awesome. I I thought that was I thought it was Steven that did that one too cuz he's he's putting out some great stuff and so yeah, if, if anybody hasn't listened to that, go check him out on on he puts all the stuff on Twitter. Yeah, agreed. He's super super talented. So, uh what is your favorite series? I would probably say Metal Gear Solid. It's probably like there are games in other series that I really really love but i can't say that i i love the series for example i'll just give a plug i was just on the quick save club uh for the episode they did on fallout new vegas now i can say i cherish fallout new vegas i cherish fallout 3 but those are the only two fallout games i've ever played so it wouldn't be honest to say fallout is one of my favorite series same with like persona like i've played persona three four and five but i haven't played the earlier ones so i'd have to go with metal gear solid because it's one of the only series that i've played most of the games uh i've played one two three four and five so i've played all the main mainline titles and i've played a lot of the vr missions i played peace walker i played Man, I played so much Peace Walker on the PSP. <laughs> so, yeah, that would have to be my my favorite series. I think. Do you have a uh, a guilty pleasure when it comes to gaming? Uh, pr- 
Probably, but we on our show, Rich and I, we have kind of a philosophy, and I think people should kind of think about this this way, and uh, I don't think there should be anything any such thing as a guilty pleasure um if it brings you pleasure and it's not immoral i think you should just not feel guilt about it yeah um however having said that like uh, my my niche is like you know anime games made for girls so i i I think (laughs) you know maybe some people might call that a guilty pleasure, but it's, it's really not for me. It's something I totally wear on my sleeve. In fact, we did, uh, we did an episode on Rhapsody, a musical adventure for the PS one, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite games of all time. So <laughs> I have to modify that question a little bit for, cause I, 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 I totally get the same way. It's like, if there's something odd, it's like, okay, yeah, that's what I play. And that's where I'm at. So, yeah. Uh, what do you think was your best deal when you've been, you know, buying and selling all these game lots? As far as, well, I guess on the buying end of of things, two things that always stick out to me is I got it's something I've sold very recently, so it's a massive profit, as you'll see. But <laughs> my copy of Cubivore for the GameCube, mm. I got at a rummage sale for a dollar. Um, oh, yeah, that's, and I just oh man. <laughs> And I just sold it for about three twenty-five, so um, that was a good deal. And is that for an, is that a open copy? It w- yeah, it was uh, complete and in pretty good condition, but yeah, not oh. not sealed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because I've got one sitting downstairs in the basement too. Yep, yep. That's. Oh man, it's it's a lot of fun though. If you have if if you haven't played it, it's it's so weird, but it's it's really fun. Yeah, I played a little bit to to test it. You know, I test all my games thoroughly before I sell them because I don't want any problems. I don't. Well, right. I want my customers to be happy first and foremost, mm-hmm. and I don't want to deal with any issues. So, um, and another one. This is not quite as good of a deal, but in the, a very similar vein, I got that um, the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition for GameCube, the black mm-hmm. case one, not not the one that has Ocarina and the other game, but the oh. The uh, I forget exactly what it's called. Zelda one and two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also found that at a different um, a a thrift store that I used to go to a lot and volunteer at. Somebody had donated that, and I grabbed that for a dollar as well. Yeah. To swing it the other way, is there something in your collection that you feel you've overpaid for? Oh, that's a good question. I'm sure there are. Um, huh. Let me think. What did I overpay for? I'm trying to think because there's got to be something. Well, I mm-hmm. I paid recent, and this was pre-pandemic. This was um, about a year ago, I would say. I wanted, and it's funny because the price on this has gone up a lot. So I actually ended up making a deal, but (laughs) I bought a, I really want a copy of Valkyrie profile in my collection for the PS one. So I just bit the bullet and found the nicest copy I could find on eBay and just paid full asking price for it. (laughs) So I wouldn't say I got ripped off. I paid what it was going for at the time. Um, but I'm very happy with that purchase because I've, 
always, always wanted a copy of that game. That's a game. So, you know, sometimes games like you just want it for the collector value, like Tron Bond. Like I've never played mm-hmm. Tron Bond, but I have Mega Man Legends one and two. I'd really like to add Tron Bond to my collection to have that set. With Valkyrie Profile, I played the PSP version and I absolutely adore that game. So it was like a, I really wanted a real copy of the PS1 version. So I mm-hmm. just, I just accepted that I would pay through the nose for it. <laughs> of course, now it's like I said because of the prices going all over the place, it's worth way more than that. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to hold on to it. <laughs> what uh, What do you think is the just the strangest thing that's in your collection. <laughs> the strangest thing. I, oh boy, I probably have some weird stuff. So, I think probably just like the import games that I've bought over the years, not really knowing what they were. Um, Uh I've gotten rid of a lot of them actually, but I do have some like weird complete in box and I'm keeping them for that reason, just because they're like a novelty and they're not really worth any money to sell them. Mm -hmm. But I have like, I have like a Tamagotchi game boy game that I bought Mm -hmm. at a convention uh, that's like sealed in the box. So I, I wouldn't say that's like super weird or whatever, but uh, it's something that I like that is kind of eye catching on the shelf. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you've had to move. What I mean, you, you I guess a couple different times. What was that like? As I mean, it sounds like you've had a couple different times you've had to move, but also kind of different periods and as far as buying and selling things and stuff like that. Yeah. So moving, I got to tell you, when I think back on this, it is one of the craziest things I think I've ever done. When you when you think about it, you're paying some company. You're paying a company to come and take everything that you own and put it in a truck, and you're trusting them yeah. to deliver it. You know, mm-hmm. sixteen hundred miles away, two weeks later. It is mm-hmm. that's insane to me. <laughs> uh, so I think the stress of you know, that first move from New Jersey to Texas, having everything in, most of it was in plastic bins for like the protection of it. Some of it was in cardboard boxes. Uh, but luckily, thank God, everything eventually delivered fine. There was very, very, very few like smushed anything or broken, like nothing of high value was broken or anything. Um, and then the second time, the most recent time we moved was about four years ago when we moved from an apartment in North Austin to we rent a house now in South Austin. And that move was just as much of a pain in the butt, but I was able to borrow a van from somebody and did it myself. So I didn't have to trust this. Like I didn't have to trust strangers to, (laughs) to take my, you know, multi thousands of dollars worth of video games, uh, across the country. So yeah, that, that was crazy and stressful. And again, I've written about this. I've said it many, many times that moving that sheer amount of video games, that the video game part of moving was more than the kitchen, the bedroom and the living room (laughs) combined. It was just 
that was mm-hmm. a breaking point for me. Mm-hmm. All right. What is your favorite game of all time? Oh, um, it, it's hard to say like just one game. Um, again, I recently played fallout new Vegas. I wouldn't, I don't know. Like that's not, I mean, if you got a, cu- I mean, that's, and that's cool. I could you give know, you a couple of, like, kind of like kind of changed by the day and that's cool. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like, um, persona three, fallout new Vegas, metal gear, solid five, super Mario world and moon patrol. There's a top five. Nice. <laughs> now, I've, so I haven't really, I mean, I've started, I think, Persona 4 Golden on the on the Vita, but I haven't really played much of any other Persona games. Are they tied together, or are they all basically separate stories, kind of like Final Fantasy? It's more like Final Fantasy. They're independent of each other. And okay. I will say, I'll just throw it out there, I prefer Persona 3, but a lot of people pers- prefer Persona 4 because of the gameplay improvements. I just I just happen to like the tone and the characters and the story of 3 more, as well as the music. Uh, they're both amazing, great games. I just prefer mm-hmm. 3, so you can't go wrong playing 4 or 5. Is there anything that you're collecting outside of uh, video games? Yes. Um, I collect... I guess you could say I collect books. I collect the Blu-rays, and I've been collecting firearms recently. I don't know if you want to get into that. That's something that um, Rich and I have agreed to not talk on our show because it's kind of a political... It can be construed as a political topic. I don't approach it that way. I just actually like um, military history and owning uh, military surplus is the focus of my gun collection, but that's... It actually feels nice to confess that because I've been talking <laughs> to some of you guys privately and uh, you've been showing a lot of support to me for it. Um, it's just something I haven't really been super public about. So, th- And if you don't, I mean, that's, that's the thing. So I, I, I understand you know, the, the side of, you know, not wanting to discuss on your guys' show. If, if you want to kind of go into some of the stuff as, as far as... You know, that goes, I have no problem with it because this is, I mean, this is about you and you can certainly mention it or not if whatever you want to do and however you want to, to kind of talk about it. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's not, you know, for me, it's, I'm not going to try and stop something that you're actively doing. The the other part about this, at least for me, is similar to, you know, the playing what you want collect whatever you want and do whatever you would like. This is, you know, it's not something that I'm necessarily into. I, I see what you're, do, what you're getting and some of that stuff is cool. And my dad was always into guns too. Hmm. He always was like buying and selling guns. I think, I don't know if he's still got a bunch at the house or not, but, um, so I went, you know, grew up going to gun shows and things like that. My dad and his friend would run gun shows in our town. Oh, that's awesome. And, and so, yeah, I mean, if I have, I have no qualms about, uh, about, you know, if you want to, if you want to discuss that or talk about that, because it's, you know, this is a, to me, this is a very personal thing as far as, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I get, I think I get why he's not wanting to do the pickups as far as that stuff necessarily. I kind of, I get what he's saying, but at this point I'm, I just want to ask you what you are, what else you're getting into. And you can certainly be as, you know, as detailed or as, you know, it, it, we'll put in or leave out whatever you would like to about that. Cool. Well, the one, the one like main thing about it is it connects 
why I'm like in such a frenzy to kind of sell off my video game collection was that because I went down a rabbit hole that is was deeper and more intense than anything I've ever gone down in my life, in, including video games, um, including like fitness and nutrition or whatever. Um, so it was just a thing where I decided for personal safety. My wife and I took a handgun lesson in late June and I bought a pistol at Academy a couple of days later and I thought at the time like okay well now we have a handgun you know we can protect ourselves and it just it snowballed from there and I just got really obsessed with firearms to the point where I was urgently urgently selling my video game collection to raise money to buy more guns but the good thing about it like I said is that every most of the guns I have now have a story behind them. Most of them are police trade-ins or military surplus. So um, th- that's where I'm at with that now is that I'm kind of in a, in a good spot. I actually sold one of my rifles recently to kind of bring it back down to earth, so to speak. And <laughs> uh, th- But that's where I'm at as far as you know, I've talked about and written about and I've tweeted about how much I'm just selling like a, f- a frenzy to get rid of my video games. And it's nice to kind of get it off my chest that that was the reason why. So um, it's funny you ask, like, what's the <laughs> how many uh, video games is enough? And there's a, you know, there's a funny thing in the firearms culture that, you know, no amount of ammo is enough. No amount of firearms is enough, but I'm actually at a point with both of those where I feel pretty comfortable and, uh, I just like it as a hobby. Like I said, I like to spend time at the range and try and hone my skills and that's about it. Um, I don't get super political on it. I do believe, you know, every human being has a right to defend himself and that's just where I'm at with it. So what kind of, uh, other features would you like to see more of at, uh, our generation? Uh, reply all in the messaging, <laughs> <laughs> which yes, is something I've been I, asking for for years. It, and that's so, uh, just to kind of pull things back a little bit. One of the things that I'm, I've trying to work on is, a pretty major update to the forum. Uh, the forum's been out of date for a long time, um, but part of the issue is that the the themes that have been set up don't translate to the new versions very well, or really at all. And so um, there's been sort of some discussion about that, but once we get that forum upgrade done, it's really going to allow us to do a lot more things, including setting up proper... And we already have SSL certificates for security and stuff. So, I mean, even if you go to the site now, it says it's not secure. We have the certificate set up. It's just not able to be used with the form software that we're using. So that will be, you know, something else, another piece that comes into that. Um, and so I, I'll have to look, but, I, you know, it, it's going to allow for a lot of different um, options. I would imagine Reply All is probably one of those. Nice. Uh, but also, um, I, I can't say that for sure, but I know currently it's set up to only do a, a two and then a, a blind copy. And so that might be part of the 
you know, reason, but I guess that might be one thing. But also, it's going to allow us to do stuff like custom fields, so we don't have to have it necessarily a um, you know different threads for you know uh, like Xbox gamer tags or PSN names. You can actually just put that into your profile, um, and so that's something that's you know it's just. It's just hard, and everybody's doing volunteer work for the site in general, so yeah. it's just tough to, to do that stuff you know easily. Um, so right. uh, we are, I think we're gonna start getting a little bit of help from somebody that's you know kind of a newer member, but um, still kind of working through you know some of the stuff there. But um, but yeah, that's certainly something that could be happening. Cool. Um, at some point, so can I can I shout out something that I wanted on the site that actually happened that I'm yeah. very happy about? So it's been kind of going on for a long time, but I remember once upon a time this was years ago that and different people were in charge of the site. Not to throw anybody under the bus, it was just a different place back then. Years ago, I put up a forum topic saying, "Can we change the front page a little bit more often?" Because somebody would write a <laughs> review of something and it would just sit there for three weeks. And you know, I was on RF Generation all the time, and I was just like, "We're not going to attract people with just leaving the same article there for a month." You know what I mean? Right. So now I just got a shout out like. Uh, my co-host Rich is one of the site directors and he kind of is the leader, let's say, of the writing staff and he keeps us mm-hmm. on a, all on a schedule. The front page changes like every day or every other day and I think that has really, um, it, it's put some spring in our step a little bit and kind of put some life back into the front page. So that is something that I wanted to see that has actually happened, which I'm, I'm very happy about and I know everybody else is as well. Yeah, Rich, Rich has done a great job uh, working with the the staff and bringing on new folks and and you know all different ways that we've been able to you know let the the front page get more more traction and you know then you know set I you know I help set up the stuff to let it automatically push that stuff to Twitter so that we can kind of get that out there as well and help help drive some more traffic and stuff too. So yeah, um, so yeah, I mean it's you know I'm really really happy in general with um, you know all the staff and you know the uh, Rich is doing a great job with the the writing staff. Chris is uh, uh, Duke Togo is the uh, mainly doing the the database stuff, and he's been you know had a lot of great help and doing a lot of great work on that side of things too. So I just I try to manage the back end. I'm the you know third technical director, but I manage kind of the forums and, and things like that too. So um, yeah, I, I think between the three of us, but also you know all the other staff that we have has has really been you know helping to to grow things even through some of the pain points that we've had over the years. But, um, yeah, we've, you know, I, I think we're, we're in a pretty good spot right now. Lastly, we, we normally do a question where the previous person asks you a question. Oh, and, right. and so, um, our, our last interviewee was new or yeah, however we decided to say it on, on his episode. Um, but his question, and, and I'll play the audio of him asking the question. And lastly, do you have a question to ask for the next interview? Oh, so I, I do have something. So uh, since you've switched over to doing audio versions of this, I want the next mm-hmm. person to do their best impersonation of the It's a Me Mario quote. 
so they've got they've got to impersonate the uh, the official version. I'm not going to do it for them because I don't want to give uh, them any hints. Oh, but. that man! I was just going to say I think if you're going to ask that question, you need to volunteer your own. <laughs> I, I don't want to give the next person any hints. I think they've got to they've got to come up with it. <laughs> I wonder if I can get my wife to do it. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. She's sitting right next to me. Let's see if she can do it. It's a me, Mario. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. That'll work. Um, his question was: He just wanted to hear your best, like. Uh, Super Mario, like, let's go kind of thing. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, I'm gonna back off from the mic a little bit because I don't wanna I don't wanna <laughs> blow out anybody's ears. Um <laughs> It's a me, Mario <laughs> Was that good? <laughs> I don't know. Oh yeah, no, that that'll that'll that was great. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, so, so that that pretty much runs through the uh, the main set of questions. Um, the one of the things that both, like I said, Sean and I have an interest in and have done is um, that, and one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring it back on is talking about um, modding consoles. Uh, I know that um, you know Sean's huge on. You know, well, he he just had a tweet the other day that uh, because the PlayStation Store is going offline for the Vita, uh, and it just simply said "hack your Vita." Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, do that. Um, so, I guess um, we can start with um, why do you hack your consoles? Uh, I just want to clarify one thing: the PlayStation Store. It's the web store that's being taken down. So what a lot of people were complaining about was you can still purchase digital games on your Vita, but the Vita store, the PlayStation store on the Vita is just kind of janky and a lot of people just prefer using their phone or a computer. So that's that's where we're at. And yes, uh, that prompted me to tweet that everybody should hack their Vitas. So there are many, many reasons to use modded consoles. Um, the main reason in the elephant in the room, and I'll just throw it out there and then we can push it aside, is piracy. It's to play games that you don't feel like buying. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to go deeper into that. It's it's kind of boring. It's something that uh, everybody knows you can do it, and a lot of people do it. But I, you know, I just want to leave it at that. So, of the many reasons to mod, here's what I kind of jotted down. Um, it will save wear and tear on your hardware and your physical media. So. Um, there's depending on what console we're talking about, especially disc based ones, there's a lot of moving parts like a fat PS two has, um, a drive that ejects and that has belts that will wear out. It has a, 
CD, you know, a DVD drive that has motors in it. Um, it has a laser that is eventually going to die. So if you mod your PS2, sure, your all the parts you buy, they're, they're, they will deteriorate as well. But um, I think that in most cases, you can extend the life of your hardware and your software, uh, your physical software, by doing a mod. Um, you can play games that are completely unavailable. Uh, some people would still consider this piracy, but for example, there are games that are delisted all the time, and whether or not they come back is always in question. Uh, in most recent memory, du the DuckTales Remastered, uh, Turtles in Time Reshelled, and Scott Pilgrim are the most recent examples. And Scott Pilgrim is interesting because it's actually coming back onto digital platforms. So, um, but being able to play games that are just straight up not available is another reason. Um, removing the region locks on consoles that are region locked is a good thing to do with modding. As a matter of fact, the first mod I ever did and one of the easiest mods in the world and something everybody should do who owns a Super Nintendo is to break off the tabs in the cartridge slot so you can play Super Famicom games. Um, so removing the region lock is important. Uh, in a lot of cases, you can apply patches, which is kind of related to region locks because you can do English fan patches for a lot of games and in many cases you can download games that are already patched uh, or if you have the technical know-how you can patch your own games and you can actually choose because depending on the game how popular it is there could be three different translations for it that different teams have done so you can choose which one you want to do um, you can also in a lot of cases you can unlock basic functionality with a console or handheld that you wouldn't have had uh, with the retail version. For example, custom menus. Uh, I know on my PS3, I can adjust the fan speed on it. Um, mm -hmm. You can do things like save states and screenshots uh, where the original official firmware might not let you do that. Um, and then the last thing, and again, this... I, you know, yes, this probably falls into piracy territory, but I, I said emulating consoles that you know you will never own. For example, for me, I have a Vectrex emulator on my Wii. Um, I, you know, I hope I don't get thrown in jail by the Vectrex Corporation, but <laughs> I'm never going to own a Vectrex. And I know my podcast co-host will, <laughs> will disown me for saying that. But uh, things like that, it's like, you know, I, I, I think it's okay to emulate like an obscure console from the 70s. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I have for reasons that I emulate besides just piracy. So what about you? Anything yeah, you want to so, add I mean, to that? Really, I mean, I'm not, you know, that's however they want however it wants to be classified because uh, i mean i'm sure technically by saying that you are um you know playing like like for instance on the 3ds i've got a huge sd card in my 3ds because i want to be able to take a lot of my collection with me and so i've you know used that to be able to 
you know, basically extract my cartridges to a file to install onto my 3DS. I own the game, mm -hmm. but I want to be able to not have to carry, you know, 10 or 20 cartridges with me if I'm going on vacation where I can just have a console and be able to just pick and choose what I want to play. Um, like we were saying with the PS2 and parts from, you know, disk drives are, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot with drives wearing out, lasers wearing out, things like that. Uh, and the PS2 is really... The PS2 and the original Xbox both really are sort of primed to be able to use uh, alternative methods. I mean, PS2 has the the free McBoot memory card now, mm -hmm. and if you have it if you have it set up right at, at your home, you can actually um, boot games from your like a network share, I believe. Oh, I know you can. I know you can from the PS3, but I thought you can from the PS2. And so instead of actually using a disc or copying to the, like the PS2 hard drive, I think and i could be i could be mis you know misspeaking here but i think you can actually connect it to a samba share and stream the games over the network to the device oh that is rad i'll have to look into that i know like I said, i'm pretty sure you can do it like a boot the isos on the ps3 from a network share um but the uh the ps2 might be able to do the same thing um the original xbox you can't boot from the share but you can connect to the share Download the game to the hard drive and then launch it that way too. If you if it's soft modded and you have a, a different launcher, you know installed on there as well. Um, yeah, and then of course it, with both of them being, you know, IDE hard drives, they're, they're getting harder to find, but you can easily find. Uh, I know for the PS2 they have uh, basically a replacement board for the the network adapter that will let you use a SATA hard drive instead of IDE. Um, yeah. So you can easily replace that with a with a drive that's in stock, going to be a newer drive, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons why. Um, like I said, most of the time it's just mostly it's it's convenience. It's I want to be able to just load my game however and not have to worry about if the disc is dirty, if it's scratched, and, um, you know, not have to just have that be just out of the picture entirely. It'll, it'll sit on my shelf and look nice uh, because it's, uh, it's something that I want to keep around. Um, but it's, I don't have to put anywhere on, uh, the disc or, you know, like you were saying, the drive itself too. Um, the, uh, you know, obviously emulation is a huge reason as well. And as, as great as it is that Nintendo has like the switch online service and, and they have the virtual console on the 3DS and stuff, you're still limited as far as the selection of games right. and to be able to take stuff like play the TurboGrafx remote, you know, not at home, uh, you're going to have to emulate that, you know, even, you know, stuff like Saturn games and things like that, uh, that are just not going to be viable to play on a handheld. Yeah. You actually bring up another reason that I forgot to jot down. Another reason that I really like modded consoles and handhelds is that in, in a lot of instances, especially when there's something that's not available on whatever platforms digital store that you're on, it's a better way to play the game. And I know purists will cry foul at this, but I'll just give you an example. I played uh, a game called drill dozer from the game boy advance. I played it on the MGBA emulator on my Vita and it was spectacular. It looked bright and beautiful and you know, I stretched it out to the widescreen on the Vita, and I loved the you know the not perfect pixels on it. 
And I think there's a lot of instances where, and it, you know, it's up to the player himself or herself, what is the best experience they could have with a game. But for me, it's mm -hmm. things like playing PSP games on the Vita and mapping, uh, mapping out the right stick and playing games that should have been, you know, twin, uh, you know, should have had two sticks, like a call, the Call of Duty games or the Parasite mm -hmm. Eve is one of the best examples. Um, to be able to do that is is another great reason to to hack and mod your consoles. Mm -hmm. And even I mean, even stuff like the NES Classic, SNES Classic. I mean, there's a you know, there's something to be said, obviously, for playing those consoles on a composite video on a CRT. Mm -hmm. I don't have the room to keep a CRT around. I I barely have the room for all the stuff that I've got right now. Yeah. Uh, down in my game room, I don't. I you know, I I simply it's just not feasible for me right now. So I mean, to me, it's I I've I've always been kind of a you know I want to get the best kind of quality of either picture and video out of a console um, as I can. That's why I I bought component cables for the Wii right you know right after it came out. Um, I had you know I've gotten all these different you know kind of means and so. Uh, to, to do that and um, you know the the simplicity of the you know the the classic consoles like that is that you can use the controllers that are basically styled on what they were originally meant to be or you know or extremely close replicas and get the great quality picture because it's a pure HDMI source heading out um, and, and yes, even those are emulation, I get it, but that's, you know, being able to modify those and add in whatever kind of games that you w would like. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people that were disappointed in the PlayStation Classic because of some of the games that were clearly left off of it. And yeah. if you would like, you can mod the console and you could use your, you could take your original disc, make a copy of it and play it on the PlayStation Classic over, you know, you get the HDMI, you get all that kind of you know, those niceties to, uh, you know, to be able to play it in great quality on your HDMI TV instead of having to worry about getting some composite cables out and if your TV will handle the resolution and all that kind of stuff too. Yes, exactly. Um, I And again, I think uh, there are a lot of purists out there. I also don't have a tube TV. I, I had one up until about, a year or two ago and I, it actually was just um i don't know if it was on the fritz it, it wasn't really big enough for what i wanted to do with it and the color was messed up so i actually got rid of it so not sure when i'll play on a crt again but currently don't own one yeah i mean even i mean even if you take out some of the other consoles and stuff you know mame is a great a great reason even if you just want to play you know arcade uh, arcade games that yeah. you would not have access to otherwise i mean we're not we can't halt you know just have a bunch of machines shuffling in and out rich and um, <laughs> and so i mean you know to be able to use even mame and experience a lot of classic arcade games that um either you know arcade one up i you know i get that they're releasing all these things but there's a lot of you know great arcade games that are never going to get re-released and then also are going to be super difficult to even track down a copy to play. Uh, I feel like that's a, you know, just kind of a, 
a great way to experience some of those things that you know I you know I was I was born in '83. I grew up in the you know when I was getting into the to the age of really recognizing and following a lot of the arcade games and stuff. It was the you know early to mid '90s, and I missed out on a lot of early stuff. And never yeah. got around to playing it until Mame came around and you know started toying with all that stuff. So you bring up another a good aspect of it that I forgot to jot down, which is the preservation angle of it. Mm-hmm. And I know some people would accuse people like us of using preservation as kind of an umbrella for piracy, but I I wholeheartedly believe that the proliferation of rare roms and games through the internet is just one of the best ways to make sure games don't disappear because it happens all the time and uh luckily we have things uh like games getting discovered and hopefully most of the time you you hope the person who discovered it is uh benevolent and wants to dump the rom out onto the internet and not hold it for a bounty um or just not release it at all which we've seen in the past so Mm uh i think i think that's another good aspect of it yeah i think i mean i think piracy is sort of um i don't know i guess it's almost a side effect of of the rom preservation stuff Mm -hmm. i mean obviously with you know cds are you know cds can have bit rot and cartridges can fail and things like that but to be able to have a, a a method to take a I mean, we see it all the time on eBay with all these new copies of SNES games that are, you know, like, again, you know, Earthbound and others that are super cheap because they're basically reproduction copies. Right, um, right. And so a, a reproduction, you know, it's a great way to be able to experience a game where you are either, you know, priced out of buying an original or it never would have come out or never did come out in your region. It, I mean, uh, and there are also, you know, great ways for, like, ROM hacks and things like that to be placed on a cartridge to play on actual hardware. Um, but, you know, the the piracy thing, I mean, there's been piracy and bootlegs and stuff with physical cartridges for, for years. Anyway, and so, I mean, I'm, you know, that's not an excuse. I'm just trying to say that it's not, you know, piracy is not the sheer reason to as to why a lot of people are doing this stuff. There's plenty of people that just want to be able to either, you know, play homebrew or source ports. There's a lot of source ports on the Vita, like uh, the first three Quake games. There are source ports of that to the Vita. Right. That you can play and you can use your original media and you can copy the files off of it and you can play a full copy of Quake 1 on your Vita based on the files that you have on your owned disc. And so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much stuff you know, to, to be able to, to use and do all that stuff is, um, you know, and again, not just her handhelds. I mean, uh, you know, looking at MAME and, you know, uh, RetroArch on the PS3, I mean, that was huge for being able to emulate stuff on, you know, that console, which I guess I didn't even really, you know, connect it until right now. That's kind of another means if you only have, if you only have a PS3, you don't have a playstation or a super nintendo or anything else those are ways for you to experience those games and uh, you know there's been plenty of times where you know i have you know played a game on emulation I'm like hey and you know i've all seen in the store hey i remember that i played that i'm gonna go i'm gonna buy a copy now i now i own a copy of it anyway yeah you know and a lot of you know again like you were saying with the purists i get it i i completely understand 
um, the the means behind it and the thought behind it, but it just you know it's um, it's kind of the best way that I would like to experience you know some of these titles. Yeah, you actually bring up a really good point that I kind of want to jump off of is that there are. And this culture is kind of fading out. And again, this is another topic that Rich and I have talked about. It used to be like there used to be a pretty, pretty vocal anti-emulation crowd. But I think nowadays that 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 has kind of quieted down and it's way more accepted. But one thing you brought up that I just thought about was, let's say you only own a PS3 and let's say you just lost your job because of the pandemic. Let's say you can't afford to buy a Switch or a brand new PS4 or whatever, or go collecting a used Super Nintendo and all the games for that. Like, by all means, I think you have the right to hack your PS3 and, you know, emulate on that. And I think to say like no 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 you shouldn't do that is a really nefarious form of gatekeeping yeah i mean i get i understand all the legality and stuff behind it and um i I, the other part about it is i get that you know there's places that are gonna you know crack down on mostly it's on the distributors of of roms and things like that which i mean we and we've even seen recently with you know like the um was it team executor or whatever getting taken down Oh yeah, is that the one where some of them were actually arrested? Yeah, yeah, that's some. That is some scary stuff. I I'm not gonna lie. Um, not that I'm. I actually haven't hacked my Switch. That's one thing I haven't hacked yet. I do have one of the original models. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, 3D print one of those jigs or right. you know, uh, I could do it, but I haven't. But uh, yeah, that I'm not gonna say that. You know, oh I'm that scared me out of doing anything, but it did give me a little pause. Like, wow, they're going to actually throw people in a cage for doing this. Like, mm-hmm. okay. You know, there's obviously risks involved. Um, and, and I, I think we've kind of covered the, the topic of, of piracy about as, as, as well as we could, um, sure. as far as we could. Um, but <clears throat> you know, there's obviously to, to kind of spin off to a different direction. There's, there's, are potentially risks involved, you know, when you're actually doing the, the, um, the modification itself. And so I, yes. you told, you told me that there were, you sort of had a list of, of consoles that you had, uh, modded yourself and then sort of, uh, you know, a handful of others that you had either, uh, I'm not sure if you purchased them modded or you just had somebody else mod them for you or, or what. Yeah. So there's examples of everything. And I, I told you privately that I feel that I've purchased quite a few consoles and handhelds that were already modded, which in to some in the modding community makes me a, a little bit of a poser, which is fine. Like I, I totally understand that sentiment. I'll own it. Uh, but I will say I made lists of stuff that I've modded myself and stuff that I've purchased modded. And the list of things I modded myself is longer than the <laughs> stuff that I bought or had somebody else mod for me. Um, so actually, it sounded like you were we were going to go into some of the like mishaps that we've had um, with modding. So one of the ones... I, I I jotted down a few here. One of one of them was I I told this story on the the podcast as well. I 
I was having a problem with my Wii where it wouldn't play some of the games off of the SD card when you're on the, the main screen. Um, so figure like eShop games or virtual console games, some of them wouldn't launch correctly. So I read a lot of forums and I found one that was very, had complete instructions and it, it got, it's probably one of the most technical things I've done was downloading a script on the, onto my computer that created like a, you know, a custom version of one of the operate, the operating systems because the Wii has like, I don't, I don't even know if I understand this that great, but it has multiple operating systems running at, at all times that do different things. So I had to like update iOS 86 or whatever it was called and run this custom script to patch it. And then I had to, uh, install it onto my Wii, which was very scary because my Wii is one of my most prized, um, <clears throat> you know, hacked consoles. And that's one of the ones I hacked on my own. Uh, and the Wii, I would encourage people to get into. It's a pretty fun yet easy uh, mod to do. But anyway, I installed this on my Wii and it was successful. Thank goodness I didn't have any issues with it. So I ended up saying, oh, well, I have my modded Wii U and the same thing is happening. So I'll just throw this iOS 86 onto the Wii U. And, well, that bricked the virtual Wii on my Wii U. Uh, so I probably on that particular Wii U will never be able to launch the Wii again. Uh, the Wii U itself works fine and I'm fine with it. Lesson learned. I was more upset and... Uh, I was more upset because I was very deep into a playthrough of Xenoblade Chronicles oh. on that virtual Wii, and I, huh. I couldn't figure out how to retrieve my save mm -hmm. or unbrick the thing, so I had to start the game over again. <laughs> that was what I was most upset about. But that's probably the worst um, mishap I've ever had. The other thing is, that another one I thought of was that I, <laughs> it's funny, I successfully modded my 3DS before I owned any modded 3DSs, I successfully modded my 3DS, but then I, I can't explain what, like, what was my state of mind at the time, but I, I didn't understand how to, how to use it. Like, I had everything set up. I had, you know, FBI was sitting right there ready to install games, and I just was like, uh, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand what to do. So I just wiped the custom firmware and, and res restored it back to factory and, and updated the official firmware and the mod was gone. And I, I never went back and I ended up buying like a bunch of other 3DSs that were already modded. So that, that was just kind of a weird memory that I had. And I'm not sure why I didn't just dig deeper and read more tutorials i can't answer that question it's just a weird memory i have like why did i do that i don't know yeah i i've been i mean a lot of times it's because i'm i guess i'm trying to be overly cautious because in in a lot of instances this is like this was my only 3ds that i had and so I'm going to read through everything. I'm going to double check every single thing before I start to actually do stuff. And yeah. um, so I've been, as far as I can remember, pretty lucky to not have uh, done anything, you know, as far as, you know, any kind of a, a failed brick or anything, or not a failed brick, but a failed, you know, hack to, to actually brick something. But 
it's oh, it's good. mostly just like I said, overly cautious and and re reading and rereading over everything to ensure that it's you know going to happen and what happens if if this happens instead. Um, I had I had a wor- a bad enough issue with my Wii U on the day one patch where it just hung, and you know ultimately failed, and then that bricked my Wii or my oh, Wii U. Oh wow! Yeah, that was the that was the day one patch. I brought my Wii U home with the patch it, and you know basically the the patch failed and it bricked it, and that happened to a lot of folks. Uh, to the point of it was basically I did wait and you know like an additional week to get a Wii U back to you know on a day one console. Um, That's crazy. I never heard of that. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get we I didn't get into the Wii U until actually kind of recently, like in the last year or so. So uh, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I mean, um, like I was saying, with anything, I mean, especially if you're doing like a, I mean, a hardware mod is one thing because you have the the you know possibility of just if you, if you solder something incorrectly or whatever, you could short the board and just you know dead there, but. A lot of times with the soft mod, uh, you're dealing with something where you might have a back out or nothing will change if it fails or, you know, um, and so, um, you know, like you were saying with the 3DS, I had, um, you know, I did the 3DS hack early on when you were having, I mean, there was a lot of different steps involved. Now, now it's super easy to do a 3DS. Uh, there's, there's a lot, you know, some basic functions that are that you can use to uh, modify a 3DS anymore that it's incredibly easy. You don't have to track down a copy of Cubic Ninja to, right. to do anything with that. So, you know, things like like the like the PS2, there's not a lot of, um, you know, methods necessarily for soft modding. Uh, a lot of times, I you know, I thought it was, or at least um, from my impression, it was mostly a hard mod you'd have to put a chip in to... To, to mod the PS2 until very recently when the um, the free McBoot stuff came around. And that is basically a, a piece of software that's installed to the uh, to one of your PS2 memory cards. And um, they found that the PS2 was supposed to have upgradable firmware, but the way it would work is you would boot the firmware, the upgraded firmware, from the memory card... And not from the console. It didn't have you know a place to, I guess, store that the updated uh, firmware files on the console itself. And so it would, if it found an update, it would run it from the memory card, or at least load it into memory from the memory card. And um, so that functionality was found and exploited. And now they have you know a super easy way of uh, of booting that, um, you know, basically to mod your PS2 with just plugging a memory card in. And to undo it, you just unplug it and reboot the console. Yeah, that's actually good background. I didn't know all of that. I actually um, modded my PS2 a couple of years ago with, uh, I got a shout out, Addicted. He walked me through it. He actually, he had a blog post on on the site uh, of how to do it. And uh, I was, he consulted me for free until I got it working. And it wasn't the smoothest thing because I kept buying the wrong parts and I was originally going to go with a hard drive and then the hard drive didn't fit. So he actually sent me a shopping list of like these adapters that I could just Mm -hmm. plug into the network thing that had a SD card slot on it. Mm -hmm. So even though my 
my modded PS2 at this point is a little bit obsolete because of the modded PS3, but I still love it because um, it was a lot of hard work and a lot of friendly help from Addicted that got me to get it working. Yeah, and, and really the PS3, I mean, at, at least for a while they had, um, it was very much like specific models had specific methods as far as how they could be hacked. And, and really the PS3 wasn't, going to be touched for a long time until sony decided to take linux away and then all of a sudden and then all of a sudden it just was busted wide open because their uh you know random number generator kept giving the same number yeah now that's that's one that i purchased a modded ps3 there's a there's actually a lot of um instances where you can get a modded version of the console for about the same price as just buying a regular used one. And that for me is a factor a lot of the time. Uh, so the modded three DSs that I do have, for example, would have cost me about the same as buying a, just another used three DS and the PS three is kind of the same way. I, I gotta admit, I was a little bit intimidated about doing the PS3 mod, so I kind of backed off, especially at the time, I only had one PS3, and I didn't want to brick it, so mm-hmm. I just bought one that was already rebugged. Yeah, um, and then, so, have you? do you have a, a modded uh, original Xbox? So that's actually one I haven't done yet i did buy one of those uh controller to usb adapter cables and i have read tutorials on it and i would like to do it someday but as as you saw in the private chat this morning my knowledge of the original xbox is very lacking because (laughs) i didn't even realize that the clock capacitors blow up and leak all over the motherboard Mm. so I will get a quick uh, crash course in how to take apart an original Xbox very shortly here, so I can get that out of there. Yeah. Now um, you will you'll want to make sure of what what uh, revision motherboard you have. If it's a 1.6, you're good. You don't have to replace it. If it's anything prior, it needs to go. And and the 1.6s will not function without that capacitor there. The other ones will. Got it. Um, okay. But yeah, the I I think I did uh, like originally soft modded mine. I mean, it was so long ago, but like they didn't, I didn't really have the option to buy the the USB adapter, so I had an old USB cable. I cut it in half and spliced together a, a an Xbox to USB cable, and used that to plug in my controller, plug in my memory card, to upload that you know uh, that modified game save and from there it was you know super easy to do okay cool and i do have a black label copy of splinter cell Mm -hmm. so i'm equipped to you know from that angle as well so but yeah i mean but yeah the the og xbox and the xbox 360 are actually the two that i don't have that i wish i had um i have seen many awesome youtube videos showcasing like tricked out modded xbox 360s and mm-hmm. i would love to have one but i just haven't um haven't had the wherewithal to do it myself or the motivation to buy one 
that was already done, but maybe someday. Yeah, and the 360 is one of the consoles that you have to do a hardware mod on. There's no soft mod for the 360. And, oh, okay. And so, um, yeah, the the between the you know security on the original Xbox to the 360, they really, I mean, unless you're lucky enough to have like an, uh, one of the original models on under a certain you know dashboard version, you've got to use a mod chip uh, in that to um, to do any kind of a modification. And, I see. Um, so yeah, I mean there there's a lot of you know a lot of different things there as far as you know what you can do. I don't have a modded 360 either, um, but um, but yeah, there's it, that one is one that you you know can't soft mod. And and really, I mean the only difference you know I, I think we may have barely touched on it, but I mean soft mod hard mod is just hardware modification versus just modifying the software. To make it run uh, a certain way, and um, yeah. but let's um, I guess we've covered kind of the the main ones. Let's cover the the one that you most recently brought up, uh, the uh, PS Vita. Oh sure, yeah. So the play, I think the PlayStation Vita is is it's a dream console or handheld. It's a dream handheld when it's modded. Um, it's really one of the more robust, uh, systems that you can have modded. And this is an example of one that I have my retail Vita and then I bought a modded Vita. Then I bought another modded Vita. Then I bought a Japanese Vita that I modded myself. So I do have the experience both in, you know, having purchased a couple that were already modded. And then I went ahead and got my hands on a cheap, but beautiful and an amazing, beautiful shape, a white one that I modded myself. And of course that makes that one probably my favorite and the most special to me because I put the work into it. So yeah, but the Vita, you know, like I said, with the uh, j- just like there's a couple things going on that make the Vita amazing to hack in the first place, which is like you can use you can buy one of those SD card adapters on Amazon or eBay. They're like five bucks mm-hmm. and then you can use a standard SD card. You lose the cartridge slot because it goes in the cartridge slot. But if you're OK with uh, playing your games digitally, then you're good to go. And also the ability to play those PSP games and PS1 games on the Vita. So the Vita natively emulates PS1 games. And then there's a um, there's a PSP emulator called Adrenaline, which is just like a perfect basically it launches the psp onto your vita it's really cool and it is i haven't had any problems with it and it's really cool like i said to be be able to play games with controller functionality that it wasn't intended for but plays much better with is a great thing and you've mentioned retro arch for the ps3 there is retro arch on the Vita. It runs pretty smoothly depending on what console you're playing. And then there's other emulators on the Vita that are really strong. Like I mentioned that MG, MGBA, that that version for the Vita is, is pretty robust and pretty stable. So, mm-hmm. um, 
the other thing too, I know I'm kind of rambling. I don't want (laughs) to just run away with this topic, but one of the things I love about modding consoles that I forgot to put on my original list is with things like the Vita and the 3DS especially, but also with my PS3, a couple other ones, is that there will be um, custom themes, and some of the communities for these custom themes are out of control, like the Vita and the 3DS especially. There's just thousands upon thousands of them out there. Whatever you're into, no matter how niche it is or weird it is, you can find a custom theme for your Vita or your 3DS for it. So that's one of the things I really love uh, about the modding as well. And all my 3DSs have different themes uh, that kind of go with them as well as my Vitas. So what what is your... I know you recently modded your Vita. What what are some of the things you like the most about it? Uh, so I, again, I mean, kind of going back to the uh, to what we were kind of saying originally, the um, the ability, like you were saying, you, you if you use the SE to Vita adapter, you do lose the cartridge slot, but um, you do have the option basically of before you install that. You can plug your Vita up to your computer if it's if it's modded, um, or I guess you don't have to plug it in. You can just use it over, you know, make an FTP connection, and mm-hmm. take a cop make a copy of your game from your Vita to your computer. Once that's complete, you put your you set up your SD to Vita, and you then you just copy those games back onto your SD card, uh, and you do basically a, a refresh of the library, and there they are. Um, yep. So you can still play all of the gar- you know the cartridge games that you own. You just have to do them in a different method by having them installed on the SD to Vita instead of uh, just switching out cartridges. I don't usually do a lot with themes uh, typically, but um, I will say that there's a there's a ton of uh, homebrew available for the Vita. Um, oh yeah, another great point. So yeah, I, like I already mentioned, the Quake ports. Um, there's a. Um, there's a port of like an old PC game called Caesar, the, that's out there. Um, you'd mentioned like MGBA and RetroArch, but there's also was it Daydallas, the N64 emulator that's on there, has made some huge improvements, and it's not you know it's it's still a work in progress. It's certainly not you know perfect by any means, but there's games that are starting to get up to. Um, you know, a decent frame rate. Uh, yep. it's, again, it's not, it, it's by no means would you, would you want to play, you know, all of your N64 games, but if you want to try them out or, you know, if that's, that's about the only way you're going to get them, you know, on the go very easily as well. I mean, yeah, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, for, at least for the Vita, there's a ton of, home, you know, good homebrew games, the Super Console Wars. Um, it was a you know, pretty fun little game. Uh, there's source ports of, you know, Alien versus Predator. There's, uh, you can still download all of your, you know, um, the if you have a digital game on the Vita or if you launch, you know, Adrenaline, you can actually download your owned, if you have any owned PSP digital games, you can download them through there as well and play them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, really for the, the combination, like, we don't, when, when our family travels, we don't, um, usually fly. We tend to take road trips places, and so I mean, and 
my wife prefers to drive, and I'm fine with that because now I can just kind of sit back and either, you know, help look for directions or, or, or things like that. But also, you know, to have the, basically, I you know, I'll take a Vita and my Switch with me, and I've got this enormous library of games to choose from depending on, you know, what I want to get into. Uh, that Adrenaline PSP emulator, there's a ton of good games on the PSP. And, you know, if you you can use your PSP, and, you know, if, if, that's, if that's modded, you can use your PSP to copy those games to an ISO, and then you mm-hmm. can transfer them to your Vita, or even just leave them on your PSP, and um, you know, then you have a lot of games digitally there as well. I mean, they have, you know, similar to the, you know, ST to Vita, they have you know, um, micro SD adapters for the uh, Memory Stick Pro Duo slot uh, for yes. the original PSP. And so if you don't have a Vita, you have a PSP and you want to do the same thing, they have, you know, similar hardware uh, to do that kind of thing too. Um, yeah, I have a bunch of those. I would advise if you want to get one of those, buy two of them because they are cheap uh, and they tend to fail. So just be ready to buy another one when your first one breaks or just buy two right off the bat. And then and and one more I mean thing you could purchase like for the original, if you have a PSP or a PSP, a PS Vita 1000, um, you can actually, if you have one that has the... Uh, 3G modem. They actually have a replacement card where you can pull that board out and replace it with a micro SD slot as well. Oh, cool! I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And so, I mean, that's it's a little more work involved, I think, to get that one done. But um, you know, it's just another another way to you know nobody's going to use the 3G modem because it's just I mean you're going to get better speeds probably tethering than than doing anything. Uh, yeah. But um. Yeah, they they have all kinds of dif- different things for the Vita, and you know, like you were saying, the the hardware is just outstanding. It, it's very powerful. It can do a lot of different games and a lot of different things as far as you know, homebrew and emulation, um, but also you know, being able to play all your you know PSP games and stuff as well. Uh, to be able to take all those with you with one console instead of having to take both if you if you go on vacation or road trip or, or you know however you play your games. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that that Vita can do. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot more that they are, you know, the folks that are doing that coding are working on getting out of it. And there's, it seems like there's a, you know, still a pretty good way that they can, you know, make it through to, uh, get some of that, you know, power available to, you know, the different programs and emulators and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool to to witness in real time a uh, modding scene and an emulation scene that is in progress. Because I was late to the party on a lot of this stuff, um, you know, especially in the the good old days of computer hacking and whatever. But uh, as I've gotten into it more in the more recent years, uh, it's really cool to see, you know, the guy who's writing data lists, like tweeting about it and showing mm-hmm. like proof of concept videos mm-hmm. and seeing it in real time. So uh, it, it's awesome. So um, I wanted, can I ask you something? Yeah. I, I don't want to like change this topic too much, but I was wondering, cause I used to be, I used to be physical only like strictly and I 
I certainly know that the, I know some people who are still like that and don't knock them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, your game collection is there to please you. If you want everything to be physical, then God bless. I used to be that way. I'm not that way anymore. And I can tell you the exact turning point uh, was when, again, when Jesse was still alive, I had picked up my first Nintendo DS. It was a pink DS Lite that I actually ended up trading to Rich. And then I actually bought another pink DS Lite, so I still have one. But um, that was my first DS, my first Nintendo DS. I had found it at a rummage sale, and I didn't have any good games with it. So that it was close to Christmas. So that Christmas, Jesse gave me a loaded R4 card, mm-hmm. which a little different from hacking. This is just a flash card. But he gave me this for Christmas, and it really just kind of blew my mind. And he kind of forced my hand from being, I only collect games that I can own physically, to, okay, like I have a really amazing selection of games that he put on this, you know, SD card for me. And that just kind of broke the spell for me. So I was wondering, did you... Uh, did you make the same kind of transition over time or have you always been kind of tinkering and hacking consoles or were you ever like physical only and you're collecting or what was that like evolution for like what was that evolution like for you so um i've always i mean i've always kind of i guess enjoyed toying with emulation to start kind of at that area uh even back you know in the kind of uh I guess mid nineties, ninety six, ninety seven. Uh, toying, we we didn't have you know a super fast computer at the time, but it could run NES games just fine. Some Super Nintendo, but you know nothing you know super or nothing uh, you know very uh, extensive. And so, but that was also I'd gotten you know we had sold our NES stuff after I got a Super Nintendo, and you know going back to be able to play some of those games, and that was really why. Um, that was really why I wanted to kind of start toying with that. Uh, but I also remember the first time when I was trying to play a uh, English version of Final Fantasy V. And being able to do something like that where the game had never come out mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. And that was just kind of a... You know, um, that was even before I started collecting. But being able to play something like that... Uh, that had never come out here um, was really kind of, I guess, almost eye-opening because it was something that was like, this is, you know, um, but also, you know, I didn't know the history of, you know, 2, 4, and 3, 6. I just knew that there was Final Fantasy 2 and Final Fantasy 3. Well, here's Final Fantasy 5. I was like, what is this all about? And, um, but yeah, it was always a lot of just tinkering with stuff and, and, and things like that. And, you know, I would say that my, you know, kind of modding, I guess, is almost sort of stemmed from uh, when I would, you know, just mess around with our, you know, home computer, which on occasion would, might dra- you know, drive my dad up a wall, but it would also um, <laughs> just having to reimage and then but that was also the one that they used for their business so he would have to re-enter a lot of stuff and but, oh okay but, so yeah not not fun but then eventually he <laughs> you know 
this this whole conversation, just you know, warning for every well, super late warning for everybody. We're gonna jump all <laughs> over the place, and so this is just an extension of all that. There was one time where they had bought a separate computer for doing all the all their invoice or invoicing and stuff, and um, I get a I get a call I got called down to the office. I was I'm pretty sure I was in eighth grade at the time. I got called down to the office, and uh, they said that. Uh, your dad's going to take you to lunch. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I wasn't expecting that. And so we picked up lunch and went home uh, because his computer for the shop wasn't working and he wanted me to look at it and try and figure out what was going on with it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, all the you know tinkering stuff, and then you know, once I got my own PC and everything, it was just sort of a... Uh, I was way into all the you know PC and computer stuff, which, you know, is helpful now, but... Uh, as far as, you know, modding consoles and stuff, there I mean, growing up, there wasn't a lot you could do. I mean, you mentioned the SNES, you know, being able to break off the tabs. Um, mm-hmm. the, I mean, if you don't want to mess up your console, you can also buy a Game Genie, and it'll do the same thing effectively. There's no tabs on the Game Genie. Um, and that way, you know, if, if it's something you want to, you know, play on there, but you don't want to actually, you know, take something off your console, buy a Game Genie. Um, but once, you know, it started getting into some of the, you know, more powerful consoles and more, you know, consoles that weren't just effectively, you know, like a dumb terminal almost, where you would turn it on and it's going to start loading this data here. Um, that's, I think, more of when I started getting into it. Uh, but I haven't really been, I was, I, I, I will say I was for a very long time. I'm I'm a you know I'm only going to get physical and it's only really sort of I guess shifted uh in more recent years as there's been more and more releases that are either not originally physical or don't look like they're going to be physical uh right you know and one of those I mean one of the biggest examples for me is golf story that I was when that trailer first came out i was like okay i'm on board as soon as this is out i'm gonna buy it i did and i don't know however many months later or whatever it was announced to be a limited run games release i'm like okay well i already have it i'm not gonna buy it again uh as right, much as i okay. love the game i don't i don't have to have a physical copy because i already have this one um the, you know there's That's been a good example there's been you know other games where was it uh, this is the end i believe you know, they have a physical copy, and it was you know thirty or forty bucks, or whatever. But it went on sale in the eShop for a dollar. Right? No, I, the 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 price. You know, there, there's a there's a bit of economics play into it that it just doesn't make sense to me to do that all the time. I, as much as I would love to have a physical copy of a lot of these games, there's some that I'm you know happy to just have it to be able to play it. Um, and so I you know. I uh, and I think it's just going to get harder to be physical only uh, as you know more and more generations keep going on. Um, you know, and once it gets to a point, I think where they just won't have it. Um, yeah, you know, I agree. I, I think it. I don't think it's going to necessarily stop me from. I don't think it's going to necessarily stop me from gaming, but um, I think it's certainly going to. You know, uh, slow things as far as where I'm kind of at as far as you know, looking out for for new consoles and and, um, and things like that, and maybe be able to get to uh, 
a point of playing through a lot more of the stuff that I already have. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're in similar kind of places. I can totally relate to that. There are many games that I've played, you know, whether I purchased them legitimately or emulated them or whatever, where it's like, wow, I'm glad I played that because I do not need to own a physical copy <laughs> of this. There's also the inverse of that, which is, for me, it was Oxenfree is my best mm. example of this. Yep. Um, played the game Oxenfree digitally uh, because I got it, I think it was with Games with Gold that I had it and I played it and I absolutely loved that game on my first playthrough and then we played it again for the podcast and I've played it subsequent times since then. Uh, It's a game I completely adore and I had missed, by the time I had played it, Limited Run Games had already pressed uh, a PS4 and I don't think they did a Vita, I think it was just PS4 and I didn't get one because I hadn't even... I, d- I knew nothing about the game, oh, so huh. I, I didn't pick it up at the time. Lucky for me, though, they eventually did a run of it on the Switch, and I was like, okay, this is one, this is the rare game that I really have to have physically because sure. I just cherish it so much. But yeah, I know, sometimes sometimes you just play something and um, you realize you don't need it physically. As a matter of fact... I'm going to break your heart right now, Adam, because (laughs) it was our playthrough of Earthbound Uh that made me realize, wow, I have a really nice, clean copy of Earthbound that Adam has helped me uh, verify its authenticity. I think it's time to put this thing on eBay. So uh, sometimes stuff like that happens as well. Yeah, and and really, I mean, (laughs) that's completely understandable to me. I completely get it because... If you wanted to go back and play the game, there are plenty of other legitimate ways to do that. I mean, it's on the you know Wii U and 3DS Virtual Console. It was on the SNES Classic. I mean, there's other ways to you know do that legitimate if you want to without buying a, a cartridge. Um, but then you have instances like Mother 3, which has never come out in the U.S. The original Mother came out. You know, as Earthbound Beginnings, again, on the uh, the Wii U and 3DS. And so there's ways to play those, you know, officially, if you would like if you would like to do that. Mother 3 has never come out, and there is no really, you know, inkling as far as that being a thing that's going to come out. <clears throat> and so if you want to play an English version of it, you have to emulate it. And if you haven't played it, I would recommend you do so if you're a fan of Earthbound, because it's it's an incredible game as well. Uh, not to again, not to sidetrack too far, but I mean, there's there's um, just another kind of reason why um, you you know you should want to uh, look into this at least. Um, you know, to kind of go back to your question about you know physical versus digital, that's that was my main motivating factor as to why I um, wanted to modify my 3ds is because oh, I wanted cool. the I wanted the convenience of digital while still owning a physical copy. Right. And so, um, and that was kind of a, you know, one of the main reasons why, uh, that I wanted to do that one. Interestingly enough, and I'm just, this is (laughs) just an odd thought that came into my head. I actually own a reproduction cart of mother three, you know, (laughs) an English translation. So, uh, I'm in the same boat there. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you kind of made me think of 
things like that, like games you can't play or versions of them you can't play. One of my favorites of these is I actually have on my PS3, when I had my modded PS3, one of the first things I wanted to get my hands on, and this was not easy, and this is a, a sincere case where I own a physical copy of the North American version of the game, uh, so you know, no shenanigans involved, but I wanted to play the version of Nier from uh, Japan, which has a different main player character. It's basically the same game, but the main character is different and his relationship with the other characters mm. is slightly different. So it was kind of hard to track down. I wasn't as much of an internet hacker as I was, <laughs> as I kind of am now trying to find that stuff. But uh, that is actually one of my favorite examples of a game that you just kind of can't play legitimately. You will be able to, actually, because that's the version that they're remastering next mm. year of the original Nier. But I was wondering, other than Mother 3, what, what are some other examples uh, of games for you that simply you cannot play legitimately, even if you were willing to pay money for them? Uh, what other examples do you have? Oh man, um, that's really tough. Uh, I think I would I would say that it's you know maybe it's I'm sure less of an issue now, um, but you know like uh, like I was saying before when I was playing Final Fantasy V before mm -hmm. there was any kind of a, I'm pretty sure that that one had a remake on the or was it I, I think it was released on some compilation or, or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, five has been on the. I mean, later on, not to, probably during the time you were doing it, but it's been out on PS One and the Game Boy Advance, I believe. Right, and so yeah, and so that was. I mean, at the time, that was the only way that I was even able to play anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, um, I you know, I am not thinking of any kind of you know specific examples right off the top of my head. Um, oh, the. Uh, the Back to the Future Super Famicom game. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Which is, you know, actually it's compared, you know, obviously compared to the LGN one, it was, <laughs> it's, you know, outstanding. But, I mean, really it's a fun game on its own. It's got, you know, great graphics and all that stuff, but it never came out here. And I'm guessing because of the licensing and everything, it never will. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm not, I, I, I can't think of anything that immediately comes to mind. Um, you know, for that though, aside There's from another, those two things, another example that just popped into my head is one of the most recent games that I've downloaded is a game called Vampire Panic for the PS2. Okay, and this is a Japan only game. Uh, so, but there was recently an English patch made for it, and one of the things that's cool as far as uh, you know, being hacking or modding or whatever is that you do have to be mindful of your hard drive space, which is usually very customizable. But for example, in my PS2, I just have a 128 gig SD card and I'm fine with that. I'm not going to expand probably, so I'm just going to leave it. But Vampire Panic is like it's under a gig. I know it's like about half of a gig, which is relatively small for a PS2 game. And it's one of the more recent, uh, fan patches that has come out hmm. recently. So 
that's a cool one that I got recently that I'm excited to play. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just great when there's games, even if they're just, like I said, slightly different versions of things that you can play that we never got, uh, here in North America. So, yeah. Uh, and I know, I know we've done a lot, you know, the majority of our discussion about this has been related to games, but, um, if you look at sort of the time when the original Xbox was out and it was being modified, one of the things that it really didn't have the capability of doing was, you know, aside from basically MP3 playback was additional, you know, media playback. And so with, you know, XBMC, which became Cody, I believe, um, it was basically another dashboard that allowed you to do, um, you know, launch emulators and, and games and stuff like that. But it also would let you access your media server and or you know any kind of a you know device that you would have that had extra media on it um, to play those over your network you know, through your Xbox. Which you know this is before the 360 and uh, Xbox One having native apps for all these things. But um, you know that was just another way to I you know I certainly had mine set up to stream from one of my, uh, you know, computers over the network to watch whatever kind of, you know, Futurama or, you know, anything like that to, um, without buying a, uh, another device for it too. That's actually, that's a good point you bring up. That's something I haven't gotten into even in by official means because like you can, even back to the 360 days, I, from what I understand, you can network that with your computer and stream content. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to just throw movies on a thumb drive and watch them on my 360. And of course, you don't need a mod for that. There's a video player uh, native to the f- firmware. But I've actually never dabbled in this stuff. I know on the PS3, you can do cool stuff like uh, ripping entire DVD ISOs and mm-hmm. putting them on your hard drive. So you'd have like the menu functionality and all that other stuff. But I, I haven't tried that. So that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool to, to know. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not as great now because of, you know, so much, so many HD files and stuff. It's, it's just the processor is not meant for any of those or any of the newer file formats and stuff. But if you have like an old, you know, any old AVI files around, it'll play them like a champ over the network. Nice, that's cool. Oh, the other the other kind of thing, uh, as far as the PS Vita, I mean, this is not necessarily, you know, a um, modding related, but you know, to kind of go along with you know all the kind of features and stuff. If you haven't used the uh, remote play on your Vita, I mean, that's a that's a great way to also kind of instantly expand your library by being able to remote play either your PS3 or your PS4. Um, and get access to either of those, you know, the libraries that they have on them as well. Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's pretty limited with the PS3, right? Um, it's been a little while since I've used it. I don't recall yeah. exactly. I actually thought I know. it was more limited for the four because it doesn't have as many buttons on it. But I could be I could be mistaken there. I think with the PS4, there's just workarounds for the controls. Like mm-hmm. it, it uses the back touchscreen for the buttons that it doesn't have. Yeah. 
Um, so I agree with you that that's a fantastic feature for the PS4. Um, but I, I believe with the PS3, it's very limited on the software side, what games are compatible with, with it. I could be wrong about that, but I, I think the last time I looked into it, that's, that's what I found. Okay. Well, and to sort of branch off from the Vita is the, uh, the PlayStation TV box. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is basically just a screenless PS Vita uh, that yeah. you plug into your TV. Um, do you have one? I, I don't have one. I do have one. Oh, nice. And so that's that's one that I'm kicking myself for because <laughs> they were liquidating those for like 20 bucks at one point, and now the price is shot way high. It's it's hard to get your hands on one right now. So. Yeah, I, I got one, I think, when they were 50, and it came with like the Lego game. Like yeah, that's game, the one. Also, but it also came with <laughs> yeah. the DualShock, control, a DualShock 3 controller. And yes. So I'm like, that, that alone is basically the price of admission for this thing. And, yes, because... And, um, Something a lot of people don't may not realize is that legitimate PS3 controllers are very hard to find because most of the ones you see on eBay and Amazon are actually counterfeit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think many people realize that. I went down that rabbit hole and I, I was just blown away and shocked. I was dual shocked by the <laughs> fact that um, PS3 controllers, like OEM PS3 controllers, basically don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you have if you happen to have a, a you know PlayStation TV, the same kind of mods work on it as do the Vita. Um, now the the TV also has, I mean, you can play a good portion of Vita games, but there's certain ones that do not work uh, yeah. on on the PlayStation TV unless you modify it, because there's mm-hmm. basically a whitelist on there and you can remove that, uh, and so. Uh, since you can also pair PS4 controllers to it, you get that touchpad functionality, uh, I believe, and to um, you know be able to play a lot more of those games uh, on the you know on the Vita, uh, effectively the Vita, uh, but on your whatever size of TV you want to plug it into. But along with that, since you have the PS4 remote play, you can effectively have a second PS4 somewhere else in your house. Um, you know, you know, obviously able to use just one at a time, but you know, in theory, like I could have mine in the basement, but also, you know, my monitor upstairs where I do work, uh, has HDMI. I could plug a PSTV into there and in theory play, you know, Vita games, but also, you know, my PS4 at the same time. Nice. That is awesome. I'm not sure what else to say. (laughs) I think we've, I think we've covered it. I mean, pretty well. Yeah. Can I... I actually just have one more memory in my notes that yeah, sure. I would love to share if, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I have a modded Saturn. And as you know, uh, as far as I know, Saturns can only be modded via a hardware mod like you were talking about earlier. So the, the funny memory I have about this is that I sent it to some guy to be modded and I... It, it was one of the more shady experiences I've ever had that actually ended up turning out okay. But I actually remember when I got in contact with the guy, he was like, oh yeah, okay, here's my service. It's 50 bucks or 75 bucks or whatever it was. And in talking to him, I eventually said like, okay, I'm going to send you, I'm going to mail to you my Sega Saturn 
as well as a money order for 75 bucks or whatever it was. I was like, how do I know I'm going to get my Saturn back? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I literally said this straight up to this guy and he was like, well, you're just going to have to trust me. He was <laughs> like, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, you're just going to have to trust me. I was like, all right. So it ended up turning out fine. He actually, he did a great job with it. And this was a long time ago, but he was actually like, somebody messed with your laser and it's not going to last that much longer. So I was like, oh man, like I just went through the trouble of getting this thing, uh, you know, hacked and mm-hmm. souped up so I could play some play some games and some imports and stuff on it and uh he told me the laser was you know near it was on death's door now knock on wood i I, like i said before i don't play a ton of saturn so um i was able to play a lot of games on it and it still does work but um it's just funny that 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 was a funny experience like literally mailing not only that console but a bunch of money with it and just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping i got (laughs) it back with the service that i was promised you know uh that's that's actually the only time i've ever done like a third party modding service with a stranger so i thought that was kind of funny yeah and you you bringing up the saturn kind of made me think about one other i mean this is i would say technically a hard mod um, but there's a lot of consoles, including the Saturn and Dreamcast and GameCube, that have, you know, um, basically replacements for your uh, laser assembly that are the optical drive emulators or ODEs. And yeah. it's basically, you know, you're replacing the entire laser assembly with a small board that plugs into the original assembly, and um, yep. and then just effectively you're now emulating you know a another you know physical device you're emulating the disc itself but you're doing it on original hardware um i think that that's another thing that has its place you know if you if you want to play all that stuff on original hardware and you don't want to wear the discs or you don't or you're you have one that the laser is shot on already replace it with one of those and you know you can load up your collection that way as well yeah, I that's and those are kind of a relatively new development. Mm-hmm. Um, um, when I modded my Saturn, this was like seven or eight. No, not that long ago. Let's say f- I was still in New Jersey, so it was at least five years ago, <laughs> and I think it was longer than that. So that kind of technology wasn't available yet. But right. I would love to have, um, I would love to have a Saturn that had just an SD card slot in the back of it. And uh, you bring up another uh, another good console for when you talk about the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only console I can think of, besides using flashcards, but it's the only console I can think of that doesn't need a hack to play, <laughs> you know, like burn CDRs. Only certain uh, models, though. Oh, There's, is that true? Yes. There are, there are certain, you can, um, <clears throat> on the bottom of the console, there's, uh, it's, it's almost like a revision number and if it's a certain one it will not play like i'm pretty sure none of the uh like the black sega sports ones i don't think will play them oh that's so interesting i never knew that and i've had so many dreamcasts like come through my hand like in and out of my hands and i've never had any i I guess i got lucky because i've never had one that wouldn't play them the way it worked was it basically uh was exploiting the um the cd plus graphics um <clears throat> mode of the of the drive and um and so it was you know acting like it was like a 
you know, pretending like it was a karaoke CD or something like that, and then it would kick over and launch the actual game code. And so it was identifying as a CD plus, you know, plus graphics disk, but then it would, you know, exploit that and run the game code instead. And so they eventually, I think, I think what happened was they kind of found out what was going on and, um, you know, removed that feature because nobody was probably using it anyway. Very interesting. I never knew that. So that brings up another question I want to ask you because I'll I have an answer for this, but I want to know what you want to what you would say. What is a good what is a good first console for someone to mod if they've never hacked or modded anything before? Um, the nice oh uh, if they've never hacked or modded anything before, uh, the Nintendo Wii. It's a piece of cake. That's, it's it's that's so a good easy. one. Uh, that's a good one. You can there's a, a method called letter bomb that you basically. I mean, there's several different methods to, to modify a lot of these consoles anymore. Uh, letter bomb. You go to a site. You type in the MAC address of the system. It downloads it to the SD card, and you're basically running code from there. Um, it's it's so incredibly easy. It boots into you know once it does the exploit, it basically boots right into you know Homebrew Manager uh, or Homebrew Launcher to to be able to run whatever else you may have loaded up. And then from there <clears throat> to do basically more of a permanent mod, it's trivial. Uh, I totally agree with that. That's a great example. Uh, my answer would be the PSP. Yes. That's uh, also it very is, easy. Yeah. So the PSP is a great first mod because it's very f- friendly with the computer. The PSP is very friendly with the computer. You can just plug it in and use your file manager on your PC and basically you just drop and now this is actually the old way to do it there are newer better ways that put the put the firmware on permanently the custom firmware permanently mm-hmm. but i've never mm-hmm. used them so i can't speak to them mm-hmm. i just use the old pro launcher uh, and basically you're just dropping a package onto your memory card and launching it on your PSP and then you're in custom firmware so it's extremely extremely easy mm-hmm. Yeah, way way easier than the uh, <clears throat> having to downgrade to one five and then upgrade back up to to do all that kind of stuff. That was not fun. Yeah, but it was also. I mean, I I still have down in my basement. I have a uh, legit kick battery and a magic memory stick still um, to be able to do that that mod. You know, just it takes you know five minutes to do. Um, I I did that on the side. You know, I had somebody contact me. You know, I met in a Target parking lot and modded his console for like I don't know, twenty or bu- twenty bucks or something like that. You know? Nice. Um, and so I mean, it took no time at all. It was just literally hop out, plug the stuff in, good to go. That's um, awesome. And I mean, that was obviously that was years. That was still I think the firmware five dot days. So I mean, that was a long time ago since then. But yeah, everything now. There's, it's so, I mean, there's a lot of consoles that's super easy to just do. Um, you know, if even if you just do a temporary mod, like, um, you know, the, the Wii U. The Wii U is the only console I can think of that costs you money to soft mod. Um, True, because you need a, a version of Brain Age, right? To you be just able have to have, it. yeah, you have to buy, uh, there's one of a certain number of games, uh, a DS 
virtual console games that you can mm-hmm. use for the exploit. And Brain Age just, just happens to be the least expensive one, so that's what everybody usually uses. Um, right. But yeah, there's an exploit that it, it's able to, to use with those to, to be able to, to mod that. Um, but yeah, anymore, I mean, there's so many you know walkthroughs and guides, but I would say, yeah, I would say the Wii... Uh, 3DS is pretty easy at this point, too. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot of times where I think the biggest hassle of the 3DS is just popping open the back to get the SD card out. Yeah, so if you have a quote-unquote new 3DS model, that's always a pain in the butt. Yep. Cool, man. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I got it all out, man. I think (laughs) (laughs) think we've covered... Covered oh, all man. my all my memories and uh-huh. you know uh, screw ups and uh-huh. you know some of my favorites. <laughs> I, I I guess I should say like if my God forbid if my house was burning down, uh, I, I'm grabbing my one of my modded Wii U's. So I actually have um, two. Neither one of these I modded myself. So mm. shame on me. But one has. The one I screwed up has Haxchi on it, and mm. the other one has a auto-launching. Like, I never have to touch it. I just turn on the console, right. and it's it's good to go. And I put a two-terabyte hard drive on that one. <laughs> and uh, like I said, if, if God forbid, I had to uh, evacuate in a hurry, I would try to grab that Wii U. Uh, do you have any, like, if you could only have one, like, what would it be? I would, <laughs> it would be the heaviest thing to grab, but I would probably go downstairs and grab my disc enclosure for my NAS. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What is that? Okay, so I've got, I've got, I have three servers in my basement, um, and then one of them's connected to a a disk array that's set up it's it's got 16 bays for hard drives and i have all kinds of just stuff on there a lot of it's yes okay. i could just it's it's replaceable data and stuff like that but that's a lot of time <laughs> that's a lot of yeah. a pain in the butt and you know getting these things to to uh um you know find another one and soft money it for the most part is not a huge deal um you know, it would just be more of a, I think, more of a pain to have to re-get, you know, re-rip these games and all that kind of stuff, too, so. That's actually a very, very good point, and uh, <laughs> the analogy only goes so far as if my house was burning down a video game console, I wouldn't be grabbing any of them, if, yeah. you know, if, if that was a true situation. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... I I never kind of thought of it that way. Like those are not only easy, easily replaceable from a hardware standpoint, but you would just have to mod them again and put mm-hmm. all your stuff back on them, yep. which would be tedious, but not very difficult. <laughs> all right. I think with that, I think we've covered about everything. So uh, I just wanted to say uh, thanks to Sean again for the time. Uh, this was a, I, I thought it was a great conversation. Um, We'll see how quickly anybody, you know, comes and busts down our door for, you know, emulating stuff that's from 1978, but we'll figure it out. Um, (laughs) But yeah, thanks again, John, for the time. Dude, thanks for having me. This was an awesome, awesome conversation. I really like just, you know, chatting open-endedly with somebody. I don't do that very often, so that was very cool. Um, 
again, I appreciate you having me. Everybody should check out our podcast, the RF Generation Playcast at rfgplaycast.com uh, or and follow me on Twitter. It's at rfgplaycast. Thanks again to Sean for joining me on this edition of the People of Our Generation. Uh, if you have somebody that you would like to hear from, uh, shoot me a personal message on uh, rfgeneration.com or uh, send me a message on Twitter at BigMan2K. Uh, on that note, um, thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next edition of the People of Our Generation. I spoke into his eyes, I thought you'd die alone.